Do you find it really hard to grow on multiple different social media platforms like Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube? Well, the truth is there are creators who are killing it on all three platforms at the same time by utilizing short form video and repurposing it on all platforms. Today, we'll be talking to one of these creators, Mickey from Mickey Rye across platforms. She has over 500,000 on Instagram, over 2 million on TikTok, and over 600,000 followers on YouTube. She is an absolute powerhouse, and we're going to talk to her about how she was able to amass the majority of her following in the last year or two, and what her life is like right now as a creator and a part-time nurse. Before we begin, I do want to apologize because there was some noise on Mickey's microphone and we didn't pick this up during our interview but only realized after the entire episode was finished and we were uh, editing the episode. However, because Mickey provides so much insight and value into, into her journey, how she grew and what she's doing right now, so I really really want everyone to be able to hear this episode and have this episode go live and I know that you're going to get so much out of it so I really hope you'll enjoy. Welcome to the Full-Time Influencer Podcast. I'm your host, Tina Lee, and I'll be sharing industry knowledge and social media tips through weekly interviews with established creators and Q&A sessions. Our goal is to help you decode social media, become a full-time influencer, and do what you love for a living. Let's dive in. Today we are here with Mickey. I'm so glad to have Mickey here. She actually is a super, super sweet Taiwanese gal. We got connected on Instagram. So can you tell us a little bit about your background and maybe just in a couple sentences what you do and which platforms you're on? Hi, everyone. First of all, thank you so much, Tina, for having me on the pod. It's actually my first ever podcast guest episode. Is it really? So I'm super excited. Wow. It sure I'm is. honored. Thank um, you for coming on. I thought for 2022, I was like, okay, let me expand, do some new things I haven't done before. But to tell you guys a little bit about myself, my name is Mickey. Um, I was actually born in Japan. My family is from Taiwan, and we moved to America when I was three years old. And so I grew up in California um, in the Bay Area, actually ended up going to nursing school at UCLA. Um, And during nursing school, that's when I actually started to initially first create content. I was making mostly educational content related to how to get into nursing school, you know, how to take a blood pressure, all these very basic medical things. Um, and from there, I found a really great healthcare community and healthcare niche um, on Instagram. And since then, have kind of expanded to TikTok, YouTube, and other platforms. But now I'm incredibly lucky. I get to juggle both being a nurse as well as being a creator. Um, and really nursing initially was my full-time job and creating was my hobby. And now I've kind of flipped it around where creating is my job and uh, nursing is like a hobby. (laughs) Yeah, that's because you are a great content creator. You're really good at telling stories. I was watching a few of your YouTube videos before starting and it was just so Mm -hmm. easy to follow along. You don't even notice. You're like, you've watched the whole thing like by the time it's done. And it's just like super cute and entertaining. So Everyone can go check that out while after this episode. So I kind of want to go back a little bit and talk about when you started. So you mentioned that you first started on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Was it pretty common for people around you, maybe friends, to also be doing this and documenting their day as well? 
Not at all. I mean, I think I have always wanted to be a creator, you know, throughout my time in high school, I would pretend like I was making YouTube videos, but I was putting on my makeup, you know, doing my daily routine. And so it was always something that I wanted to do. I just didn't know exactly when I would start. And when I got into nursing school, it felt like, oh, now I have something special to offer something that's a little bit different than everyone else's life. Um, yes. But I've talked about this briefly on my TikTok. I actually was getting a little bit bullied in nursing school because, you know, initially when you're first starting out as a creator you're a quote-unquote wannabe influencer and you know people talk a lot of bad things behind your back um and learning to deal with that hate and negativity definitely got easier as time went on but um not everyone was supportive but to your face you know everyone's of course very kind very caring and so uh it kind of went both ways (laughs) yeah i thought it was very interesting that you chose the niche nursing because um like you said that's like what you know about and that's what you do have expert uh, knowledge in and authority. And I guess it's like people are following your journey about learning about nursing and then becoming a nurse and all that, right? Were there other right. niches and topics that you also wanted to do in the beginning? And how did you end up in nursing? Yeah, so I started out with nursing because I felt like that's what I knew the most and that what I, that's what I was learning. Um, and I didn't want to just be a quote unquote typical blogger that wasn't offering any value. So I felt mm-hmm. like that's really what differentiated from other creators. To be really honest, in the beginning, all of my content was educational. And so it had to be a very specific audience member who would want to follow me. Either you're already a nurse, you're trying to be a nurse, mm-hmm. or you're really, really into health education. And I realized very soon later on that I had niched myself into a hole because anytime I would post anything not nursing related if I was not wearing scrubs Tina if I was wearing like a dress or something I would see the engagement plummet and I was so embarrassed and I realized that I made a big mistake (laughs) that's so interesting yeah but although that is definitely a narrow niche like we always recommend people to start that way but like you have seen that's really helped you grow a ton But then it's also really cool that now you're able to also develop more um, identities on on your various platforms uh, in addition to nursing as well. Can you recall what was like a turning point for you where you were like, um, in the beginning, it was just for fun. And then at some point, was it during maybe 2020 uh, during COVID that you were like, okay, this is getting really serious and I'm really growing a critical following? That's a good question. I think 2020 and the initial stages of the pandemic was definitely when my growth was exponential. Um, And that's when I really thought, oh, I should take this very seriously. It could be a full time career. Um, But the truth about creating is that I would do it even if it didn't pay me a cent. And so I was fully prepared to do it for the rest of my life without getting anything back from it. And everything now that I do get from it is like a cherry on top, you know? That's the best way to go about it because it may take a while for uh, you to see any results at all. And it really requires that that passion and um, just enjoyment of the content creation process itself to push past that point. How long was that period for you, like the sort of hustling and just being very, very consistent every day period before you saw results? That's a good question. So I think growth on social media is very exponential once you kind of get through what people call the valley of disappointment, right? When you put in a lot of work and you don't see a lot of results. So I want to say the first 100K took me 
maybe three or four years and I was posting nearly every single day. If it wasn't wow. on a post, it was on a story. Um, and back then this was all image content. Um, so there yes. was no virality the way that video short form content has today. And so for three years, I mean, I was working so, so hard and it's incredibly discouraging to see other people in other niches grow so much faster. And you're like, huh, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. Um, but I will say the first three years, the hundred K, and then this past year, for example, I think I started off 2021 at 250K on Instagram and I ended at 480. So yes. I nearly doubled what I had. Um, and so right now, I think more than ever, it is a great time to be a creator because with short form video and with the algorithm changing constantly to allow more visibility for creators, um, it, it's definitely much easier, quote unquote. <laughs> Totally. And you also during this time grew a ton on TikTok and on YouTube as well, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like I saw that you were posting a lot of shorts onto your YouTube. So I kind of wanted to ask you a little bit about like how to use one, make one piece of content and then repurpose a, across multiple platforms and how that has worked for you. Do you start with thinking about creating a TikTok and then you post it to Reels and Shorts or which way around is it? Yes. So typically almost, I would say like 80% of my inspiration actually comes from TikTok itself. And so all of my short form videos are, if they're not like professional videos and they're, I just do them in app in TikTok. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of my drafts are saved within TikTok. I do all the editing, the text is all actually in TikTok. I screen record and then repost onto IG Reels and then YouTube Shorts. And so it's basically three birds with one stone. You're repurposing the same content on three different platforms. And what's really interesting is that there's a different audience on every platform. And so yes. while something might only get like 20,000 views on TikTok, it could get millions on YouTube. You have no idea. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more for the people who don't know how to do this, the screen recording before you post to TikTok um, so that you, people can repurpose? Because the mistake that most people are making is they're posting it to TikTok, then they're trying to download it with a watermark and then getting rid of it. And it results in like a poor quality video. Yep. So the trick is TikTok has actually made it a little bit more difficult nowadays. But oh. even before you actually post your draft to TikTok feed, you want to make sure that you screen record it. And so if you click on the I believe it's the right hand corner, you click to watch your own video. There's a little square icon that pops up on the upper right corner. And if you click on that icon, all of the kind of like uh, captions and side landmarks will disappear screen record that for a full round, sometimes two rounds if the beginning is cut off. Um, and then once you're done screen recording, then you can go ahead and crop that video and it'll be a high quality version. Yeah, yeah, that's super helpful. I didn't know that before. But now that I know, um, I would definitely do that <laughs> in case I need to repurpose my TikTok. Although I'm kind of different, like I start from reels, and then I decide to like put it elsewhere. Although right now I'm not on YouTube, I just put it on TikTok and and that has kind of worked out well for, for me personally. And mm -hmm. so I just grow TikTok really passively. But I think it's also dependent on like content type for different people. Yeah. Do you find um, that if you edit in the actual Reels app versus if you were to edit in Adobe or something, you see different results in terms of the algorithm at all? I don't really see any difference. Um, I feel like ultimately it's still about the reaction of the people when they see the reel. So if you edit it outside of the Instagram reel app and it's like completely finished and you upload it, 
if people go well at the result or they are hooked from the beginning to the end, I think the result is still way more explosive than um, anything else. Um, but right. also, as an example, I, I know there was a girl who had over 100 million views on one of her, like, throw dress on the floor and then pop up on the other side and then the wow. person who pops up throw the, throws the dress. Like, she definitely made that in Premiere Pro and then uploaded it. And right. it still got her over 100 million views. So I definitely feel like it's not as important. Uh, do you find that it's different for TikTok, that maybe it's like it performs better when you record inside TikTok? I mean, it's all speculation and I have no idea. But the thing about TikTok is the audience is so specific. I think with TikTok, you can be a little bit more pushing the boundaries. I think on Instagram, people are a little bit more professional, but rather people on TikTok are a little bit more willing to accept like interesting concepts and interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can push the boundaries of controversy a little bit more. So yeah. I think things that do that perform best on TikTok. And if they're not polished, a lot of the times it actually does better because yes. people feel like it's more authentic, right? Yes, yes. It's definitely a different crowd and different vibe. Um, mm -hmm. I do want to ask, you have been repurposing it to YouTube Shorts. Have you seen a lot of growth from the Shorts or was the growth already coming even before you posted the Shorts? YouTube, out of everything, is the most... Uh, kind of exponential growth because those videos that you have on YouTube are constantly being watched and recommended even years and years after you're posted compared mm -hmm. to Instagram and uh, TikTok where they have a very short half-life, right. right? You know, a week, two weeks, nobody sees them anymore. And so it is a little bit different. I think I was just getting to the point. So I started off the year around 200 subs in 2021, 200K oh, wow. subs. Um, and it was just getting to that point where it was exponential kind of doing its own work without too much input on my part. But then YouTube Shorts 100% was the reason why my channel skyrocketed to over 600,000 subs. And I think it's, it, it's a win-lose situation because okay. on the one hand, yeah, on the one hand, I'm getting so many subscribers and it's so exciting. And of course, I want to hit 1 million and get my 1 million plaque. Um, but what's so interesting is that the quality of a YouTube short subscriber and a quality mm. of a YouTube channel subscriber from watching long form video is very different. The yes. long form video, they really care about you. They're committed to your channel. You know, the activation energy to subscribe is very high, where shorts is very, very easy. And so a lot of the times you might see that your sub count jumps and your shorts views are up, but your long form video views are actually about the same. Mm -mm -mm. But maybe in a way that's also just like reach naturally goes down on every platform as you grow your audience, like in, in general. But I think you have a point there because it really is if they watch your whole thing and then they really get to know you and they familiarize themselves with you and then they sob, that's like that's a sticky fan, like a loyal, what we call yep. like a super fan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's a great point. Question, have you seen like demographics change with um, the shorts audience coming in? Or is it more or less the same? 
I have seen a little bit more in terms of international audiences. Um, I think recently I've been creating a little bit more content about, you know, growing up Asian and speaking different languages. And so it's brought in more audiences from um, the different Asian countries. But my age range is usually the 18 to 35. And that hasn't changed very much at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, after all, that is the main audience on these platforms. That's super mm -hmm. interesting. I'm actually um, this year trying to make an active effort to get on YouTube finally and I was just searching my notes and every single year my goals it has start YouTube start YouTube like from 2018 <laughs> till this year and so hopefully this is a year that I'll make it happen with the help of shorts are you going to be focusing mostly on short form content long form content a mix of both I think it will be a mix of both, but now that I hear you talk about, you know, the quality of the audience, I think it still has to be a pretty heavy focus on long form content, um, because I think after all, that is the, the purpose of why I'm getting onto YouTube. I'm not trying to get onto YouTube just to get subs. I'm trying to get on YouTube to really have those convert to super fans and then people who will then go to my Instagram or TikTok and also follow me there as well. And so if it's just shorts, then um, there's not really as much purpose, I guess. Yeah, I think a mixture of both is definitely the safest approach to take. <laughs> and so now you have, okay, like almost 500k on Instagram, you have over 600k on YouTube, and you have 2.3 million on TikTok, which is insane, almost 3.5 million total. Um, has content creation become a full-time job now? So I actually recently just filmed a YouTube video explaining this, but my income as a creator has far surpassed my income as an RN over the last two years. Um, and the reason that I continue to work my nursing job is not because I need it for a financial reason, but because I genuinely enjoy it. And instead of having to work my nursing job because I need to pay my bills, I have to have a salary to support my family, my dog. Um, now it's more so of a hobby that I can actually enjoy and genuinely do to serve others. I'm glad that I was able to kind of flip them around and change my creator position to my full-time kind of gig and then nursing now to my side hustle if you will yeah that's really great in my opinion because I am a creator and I love to encourage other people to try and pursue it full-time speaking of um, these kind of things that people worry about one often that I hear from people is they they're scared of the hate another one is actually privacy online and I noticed that when you were doing your house tour you blurred out the window view and mm -hmm. you also mentioned like you never mention who your employers are, which obviously is very smart. Um, can you tell us like why you decided to to be so cautious and, and like how do you do, how do you balance sharing a lot and being able to connect with people but still be private? I think everyone has their own boundaries for what they are willing to share and what they aren't. For example, a lot of people choose not to share their relationship, but Kevin and I obviously share a lot of our relationship because it is the majority of our life. And so that's something that we choose to share. Um, when you become, you know, an internet figure or public figure, people feel like they are obligated to know certain things about you um, or assume certain things about you. And the internet is a very powerful tool that has a lot of resources that can be very scary. And things like, you know, where you work, your addresses, things like yeah. that should always, always be kept private. Because just like you said earlier, once you put something on the internet, there's no way of ever taking it back. It will live right. somewhere somehow. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was that incidence too with um, the entire fake 
nurse situation um, when one of the news companies actually went and interviewed one of my old employers and asked like, oh, does she still work here? And I had actually, oh my you God. know, my first ever employer, I did a very bad job of protecting my own privacy. So I've never explicitly said where I worked. But if you looked at like the color of my scrubs, like where I was taking pictures, it was very easy to piece that information together. But when I left that job, I kept it very on the down low when I switched to my new hospital because I didn't want people to know where I worked. Um, And people mistook that as, oh, you aren't working as a nurse anymore. And Mm. so I think the best choice you can make is to always err on the side of caution and don't share until you are a thousand percent ready for that information to live on forever. Right. I think that's really smart. In the beginning, I was also not very cautious and I would just um, share a little too much where you can kind of really see like where we're living and all of that. And if I am in an apartment with an Epic VR, I'd still probably shoot with it. But nowadays, <laughs> I'm just a lot more careful. Like I no longer do stories from our window just to show everything. Um, because I did one after I moved to San Juan. And then I just did like a casual video out the window. And someone just <laughs> immediately DM'd me and was like, oh, I know where you live. <laughs> and in a friendly way. But it was meant in, a, oh in like a, oh, I know that area. But then it just kind of creeped me out. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't have any issues right now. But like you you kind of don't want that up there on the internet. So I, I right. Like and that's said, only someone that's only someone who's willing to come clean and tell you that they know. Yes, right. There's right. hundreds of people who will know but not actually tell you, which that's the scary part. Right. Right. And then the problem is just you don't really know what they're going to use with that information. And so, I mean, I think, like you said, like the privacy line is we determine for ourselves. Everyone determines for themselves. There's a lot of people who are even more famous, but then they still share like the views from their homes and all of that. But mm-hmm. I think everyone has to decide what they are comfortable with and then, um, you know, protect however much they choose to. Exactly. Are you an aspiring creator who wants to get paid to be yourself and do what you love? Well, I have a free training that will help you achieve exactly that. This training will cover the four steps to landing paid brand deals even if you don't have a ton of followers so you can start growing and monetizing your social media following. Save your spot today at SuccessfulInfluencer.com training or head to the link in the description. I was just looking at your videos and it looks like it was the a day in my life uh, as a nurse that really blew up your channel, right? Like late 2019 on Christmas Day. Yes. I'm just curious, was there a strategy change after you started growing a critical following or did you always just kind of post what felt right to you or did you do a lot of um, research and then optimize it for search? I honestly, in retrospect, I think I should have done a better job with SEO optimization because I probably could have gotten even more views if I had done it properly. Um, If you look at those videos, I don't think I even had more than like three tags on them until like a year ago when I went back and was like, oh, I should probably change this. Um, But the YouTube algorithm really does work wonders on its own. If you put out good quality content, no matter what, it will reach an audience and reach the people that you desire to, you know, reach yeah. as a creator. 
Um, for me, I think YouTube has always been my passion project. And so I've always posted what has resonated most with me. And YouTube is especially quick to call you out if you are not being your authentic self. And so my content has really shifted throughout the years. You know, I've done Day in the Life of a Nurse. Um, now I don't really enjoy making those videos as much. And so we did a lot of just like, you know, daily vlogs. We call it our Life Unfiltered series where people really get a, the option to um, get to know us as human beings and how yeah. Kevin and I interact, what we do on our days off. Um, and then this year, I'm actually moving into finance content about investing, stocks, you know, what I do for financial stability. Um, and so I have taken my channel wherever I have felt like it best resonated with me. But my audience is also roughly the same age range as me. And so I feel like whatever I'm going through, there's always an audience right. that's like growing up and doing the same things, like right alongside you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And is Kevin going to be a consistent part of your future videos? Is this going to evolve into a couple channel maybe? Or will it always sort of be your your little baby? <laughs> Kevin is so busy. I think he would love to have like his own channel even um, sometime down the line. But uh, as you guys know, he's a resident physician, which means he works 80 to 100 hours a week. And so the fact that he even has time to pop off on my channel is like such a gift to all of our viewers. But we are actually starting a couple's podcast later oh, this year. Wow. Yeah, it's going to be titled Scrubs and Soy Sauce which I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that yet, but we're just going to be talking about growing up Asian American, yeah. um, our experiences in medicine and what that's looked like. Um, and it's less of a time commitment, which is great for him. That's really cool. I love that idea. And the name is really cute as well. And I have to say, <laughs> I feel like Kevin is actually, he. I'm not sure if this took time, but he feels like a natural on camera. And like when he voiceovers stuff, it feels really natural. It definitely took a lot of time. Um, it's funny <laughs> okay. because we got comments every single day saying like, oh, wow, like Kevin has come such a long way from when he first started being on the channel. He used to hate not hate, but really despise, like I would have to really reward him to, yes. <laughs> to be involved with the TikTok dances and things like that. And yeah. now he'll volunteer and send me videos. He'll be like, babe, like, this is a good idea. This is a good trend. Like, we should probably do this. That's <laughs> Which great. I think is awesome. What about Mr. D? Well, he kind of does that now as well, because um, he quit his job earlier in 2021. And so now he has right. much more time. And he also doesn't have the burden of coming from a finance background. That was one of the main reasons why he wanted to be anonymous and he didn't want to be seen on social media because like everything you put out there um, can be used, you know, against you. <laughs> That's how he feels. And he's a very private person. Now he's a lot better. And yes, he does send me reels sometimes. He will send me stuff that's like already been trending for a month. And I saw like a month ago and he's like, hey, you should do this. Oh, <laughs> Mr. D. I personally love watching your Q&A sessions with Mr. D on your IG stories. I think it's so interesting. And he gives us like a whole different perspective, you know, about your relationship that we haven't seen before. And so maybe for long form YouTube content, you should do like day in the life of Mr. D or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Day in the life of an Instagram husband, maybe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm gonna have to jot that down in my in my different YouTube ideas. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to ask you a little bit. Um, let's just say if you had to choose one platform, and then all, all the other platforms just disappeared, which one would you keep? Oh, Oh, God. I can only ask a few people question this question because only a few people have so much critical mass in all three platforms. 
Oh, that's so hard. So my love for every platform comes and goes. Like, I swear to God, there's never a time when all three platforms are all doing great. It's always like one is doing really awesome and one's not. <laughs> um, I think for the past like year, Instagram growth has been so exponential. And with IG Reels, I've built a really awesome committed audience that I didn't previously have on Instagram before. Thank God I can now post pictures not in scrubs and people will actually still engaged, which is awesome. Um, but I think my my true one love is still actually YouTube. If you ask me as a content creator, like, what do I identify as? And what's the easiest thing to present myself as? I'm like, Oh, I'm a YouTuber. I make right. videos on the internet. I see. I see. Oh, that's interesting. And in terms of brand deals, is that also kind of how it weighs? Like YouTube comes first, and then Instagram, and then TikTok? In terms of accepting brand deals, you mean? Or in terms of monetization? <laughs> in terms of monetization potential? I will say, I think in 2021, I did a full analysis and I took double the brand deals that I took on YouTube and TikTok on Instagram. So Instagram was my most highly sponsored platform um, because it's usually the easiest to sponsor. Like IG stories mm. are pretty low activation energy, posts are pretty easy. Yeah. Um, I tend to not take YouTube sponsorships and thus I really like the brand because it is very, very time consuming. And if you have to make edits for a brand sponsorship, it's usually an entire reshoot. Um, and it looks very unnatural if you don't reshoot it, the whole mm. thing, because clearly you oh, have wow. to reshoot it. I see. Um, and then TikTok monetization potential. Also, interesting conversation, actually, because in the beginning stages, TikTok sponsorships were so low paying. Yes, yes. Um, and now I think people are finally realizing the potential that TikTok has and the virality that it has. Um, and mm -hmm. brands are starting to pay more of a fair wage, quote unquote. Slowly catching up, I think. Yeah. Um, yes. It does seem like in terms of just total monetization, Instagram is where there's just so many opportunities, even just in terms of volume, you will likely make the most. Let's say you have like equal follower count across all platforms. However, mm -hmm. it does seem like per subscriber, you do get paid more on YouTube. Um, and then per subscriber, you get paid the least on TikTok. Um, but there's always exceptions, of course. But that just seems to be what I'm hearing across the board. And I even hear some YouTube friends tell me that um, there are brands that would rather pay her for her smaller Instagram account than pay her the same amount or just slightly more for her larger YouTube channel, which she also thinks converts better. I just thought that was super, super interesting. But I guess it also depends on the, the niche of your, your different channels. Yeah. I think Instagram is still like the veteran, quote unquote, when it comes to brand sponsorships. You have the most versatility in terms of image, video, stories, right. live stream. Yes. Um, and so it, I, it, it only makes sense that every creator has to have an Instagram because it's your home base for everything, right? Even if yes. a brand wants to sponsor your YouTube channel, likely they found you from your Instagram, right? Yeah. And also oftentimes they may also want you to post on Instagram as well at the same time. So it's like cross-platform mm -hmm. um, but also like you said there's so many different content types so they can repurpose um, different types of content they can take a photo and then make an ad with it or they can uh, buy the usage right of the reel and then maybe even put it on TikTok if they have the the usage right so it does mm -hmm. allow for a lot of versatility yeah would you say that for your sponsorships are you seeing a huge uptick in IG reel sponsorships versus imagery yeah, definitely. That's actually a big, big 
change and shift that I'm seeing. And I'm actually always still surprised if anyone still comes to me with like a still post um, because I feel like it's already known that real still gets you the most reach. And I've already had uh, several partnerships with reels that actually went viral. And so it still sometimes can be hard to change people's minds. So even if they see that, they're still like, okay, but we want a carousel. So sometimes it does um, happen like that. It just depends on like how um, forward thinking <laughs> these advertisers are. But more and more, right. it's just directly coming for reels. Yeah. Is that the same for you as well? Now when people come to me for posts, I'm like, oh, they want to post? That's awesome. Yeah. Because obviously a post is <laughs> it's less easier. Yes. IG Reels is. Um, I, the question that I was going to ask you actually was, do you have a certain formula or percentage that you charge more for IG Reels versus an IG post? Because I think one of the great incentives is that you can charge more if it's a video, right? Yes, yes, you definitely can. And so in a previous episode, if anyone hasn't listened to it, I do talk a little bit about how to calculate your rates as an influencer. So you can scroll down and check that out. But basically in there, I do say that if it's a video versus a photo, you want to charge more. For some people, the percentage, it varies. And I think it varies also depending on your follower account. But some people say you, you want to double the rate. Some people say it's like 50% more. I would say if you have a, a, if the flat fee you're charging is lower, then you can just double that. But if you're, let's say if you're charging like 20,000 for a post already, you, you don't really <laughs> want to double that for a video, right? So just, you kind of have to change the rate around depending on um, how much you're also charging for the photo. But I would say 50% to like double. Is that about right? Yeah, it's a good rule of thumb. Of course, there's always exceptions depending on like how much you want to work with certain brands and all of that. But I always recommend them that they should try reels because I'm like, if you want more reach, here are some of my viral reels. <laughs> and um, it's a good way to negotiate a higher paying deal as well. Agreed. Speaking of all of these, uh, do you have some future plans that coming up? Because I know you've talked to me a little bit about it. I know right now you're doing YouTube, TikTok and Instagram and doing brand deals. Are there more plans coming for you in the horizon? Yes, I'm super excited. I think 2022 is going to be a big year for us. Um, in the past, I've really focused a lot on growth and just um, maximizing the potential in that department. But this year, I really want to work on the passion projects that are important to me. Um, and something that I love doing is teaching and educating and giving back. And so we are going to actually be launching a course later this year, um, teaching people how to become an influencer, how to monetize your influence, um, which obviously my audience is a lot, a lot of people who are in the healthcare niche. Um, so lots of things applicable in that department. Um, in addition to that, we are also launching our podcast, like I mentioned. And so I'd love to be more involved in the AAPI community this year mm -hmm. um, and be more vocal about uh, the initiatives that are important to me. And so I've got it all mapped out on a on, on a spreadsheet. <laughs> That's so exciting. It's always really exciting to plan these like big ideas at the beginning of the year. And then after the yep. year passes, when you look back and you check off those huge things, you're just like, oh, that was that was really cool and really fulfilling. So that's, that's really exciting. I'm super excited for you. And so if anyone listening is more in like a healthcare niche, you definitely want to follow Mickey. If you're not already, probably already are if you're in that niche and stay tuned for that. Are you going to hire an, uh, an assistant or, or employees for that? 
Yeah, so I actually have two um, editors that work for me almost full-time right now. They help me edit mostly YouTube videos and YouTube shorts um, and related things, but probably need to get better at outsourcing and taking things off my plate. So likely looking for an assistant sometime this year. That's awesome. Oh, how, how did you find the video editors? I actually made um, an Instagram story and just asked if anyone was interested in applying. But the one person that I ended up hiring through my IG stories is actually someone who had reached out to me even before I had posted that story. Um, and her, she'd worked with some creators who vid- whose videos I really admire. And mm. so it seemed like it was a great fit. We did a trial run and now um, she does amazing work. The one thing I like doing the least is editing YouTube long form content because it yeah. literally takes 20 hours to edit a video. It does, um, yeah. So I literally could not do it without her. And my other editor is actually, she's also trained as a nurse. And so I used her as uh, for more so my medical related content um, mm-hmm. because she can actually understand the jargon yes. and what things we would want to keep in the video versus take out. And so that's very helpful too. Uh, that's so smart. And that's that actually brings up a really good point. I think anybody who is listening, let's say even if you're not trying to like make uh, influencing your full-time income or full-time hustle, but if you have cross-disciplinary skills, like you are trained as a nurse, but then you can also edit videos or you can take photos, mm-hmm. then you will definitely be very desirable and um, you know be in demand no matter what happens. There's been such a huge shift from doing full-time in-person work to just being remote and doing multiple different jobs part-time and mm-hmm. you have the freedom to decide your lifestyle, which is everything that we like to preach here 2022 time to chase your dreams yes yes so thank you so much for joining us today i feel like it was such an interesting conversation especially like a really nice peek into the nursing uh, niche as well so thank you so much for your time mickey thank you tina thanks again for tuning in to the full-time influencer podcast If you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone who could benefit from it. And I'll see you in the next one.